45. I've just been kind of meditating on this uh, this week here. Uh, and this is one of my favorite scriptures in Psalm 145. It says in verse 8, it says that the Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works. And, um, you know, I was just thinking about these verses, about how good these verses tell us that the Lord is, right? The Lord is gracious, full of compassion, slow to anger, and of great mercy. And the Lord is good to all. Uh, so how many is he good to? He's good to all, right? And his tender mercy. So, you know, sometimes, you ever, have you ever been shown mercy by somebody, but it's not very tender, you know? Well, fine, just, you know, take it, you know? And that's not, I mean, that may be mercy, but it's not very tender mercy, right? Or over all his works. You know, in the, in the church, there's always the balance uh, of teaching um, uh, of the goodness of the Lord and also, you know, the responsibilities that we have to the Lord, right? And so, you know, we are responsible to follow him. The Bible says we're believers, so we're, we're responsible to believe and responsible to do uh, his, uh, his instructions in the word of God. But it seems the church has a hard time finding a balance. That we're the way over here, that the Lord is good and just do whatever you want to, and the Lord doesn't care, and live however you want to, it doesn't matter. And then you've got the other extreme over here that, you know, uh, God is going to get you every time you mess up, and, you know, uh, you better uh, make sure you duck all the time because he's swinging his baseball bat after you. And, you know, it's, uh, uh, and, of course, I don't think either extreme is even accurate, right? So it's not like, well, that's okay, but we can combine it with that. You know, I think both extremes are in error because it's not what the Lord teaches in his word the lord teaches there's a balance right uh we love the lord we do the things he wants us to do and and really if we could understand that the word of god as a child of god when you get born again in, into his kingdom you start at a hundred percent you know you start as an inheritance uh, with the inheritance of all the blessings the lord has given to you so you're not like you're starting at zero always trying to earn your way to heaven earn your way to the blessings of god as soon as you become a member of the child in the house of god you get a hundred percent of all of his blessings now, you have to study and learn what those blessings are in order to receive them by faith. But you start at 100%. He's not going to make you earn them uh, because the earning was done at the cross. Uh, and so, really, uh, if we could understand that, then, then as we live and how we choose to live and the decisions we make and, you know, do we want to pray, do we not want to pray, do we want to obey, do we not want to obey, uh, then we diminish uh, how much the Lord's able to bless us. It's not that he's holding back from us. It's not that he's uh, punishing us. It's he's unable to bless us because of our decisions he desires to but he can't right just uh, you remember there in luke chapter 5 where, where it says that the power of the lord was present to heal uh and yet how many people got healed other than the man that was born by his four friends no one the power of the, of the lord was present to heal he was willing to bless desired to bless it was there to be received yet no one received it so it wasn't on the Lord's part, and it's never on the Lord's part. It's, it's always on our part. We live in the New Testament, right? The work of the Lord has been done at the cross. So the, the blessings of the Lord was completed at the cross. It's not completed by your good works and by your actions and, and desires to earn those things. It's the, the blessings of the Lord, you know, when, when, in fact, Paul talks a lot about it, but when somebody dies, that's when the, the will, the last will and testament, goes into effect, right? It doesn't go into effect until somebody dies. Well, the Lord died. So the last will and testament has been put into effect at the cross. And so it's our, it's our responsibility then to receive all the blessings of the Lord. And we receive them at 100%, you know, and really all you have to do is just do what the Lord says and you receive 100% of the blessings of the Lord. If you choose not to do that, well, you know, that's then, then, then he's constrained. You know, Paul, uh, and, and the thing that I like, I like to say it the way the Bible says it, and Paul said in Galatians chapter 2, he said, I do not frustrate the grace of God. Uh, see, the grace of God is there to help and to empower and to strengthen and to provide. Uh, but sometimes we, he said, I do not frustrate. So it's not that, the, that uh, you know, the Lord is punishing us. It's his grace and desire to bless us is frustrated because he says right there, the Lord is gracious. So he is gracious. His desire is to bless us. Amen. Uh, and, you know, people who have that martyr syndrome, you know, God's not going to bless you and God's not going to prosper you and God's not going to take care of you. You know, I wonder, have you ever met the Lord? You're just, you know, maybe I should introduce you to him because uh, what's the very first thing he did for Adam and Eve? He blessed him before he ever told them what to do in the garden, before he ever told them uh, the responsibilities of the tree or anything. He said, the, the Bible says the Lord blessed them. Uh, and if that's the very first thing he did to Adam and Eve, what's the very first thing he wants to do for you and me? That's not, that's, you know, and, and, and I believe it 100%, that's not, you know, uh, 
this this you know preaching that people get mad at you know well you know all you do is preach about how good God is and uh, well he's good you know if, if he's good he deserves to be taught that he's good amen he deserves for us to tell each other how good he is amen uh, and yeah are there ramifications for not following his will there are uh, and, uh, and and you know the balance is we should teach those things but we shouldn't teach them in the standpoint of, of punishment and you all sorry no count worthless Christians you know we all need to be aware of the ramifications of our actions what, what could happen if we choose not to follow his will uh, and I think we we teach a good balance that around here um, but I, and I don't know why that's such a hard thing to find the balance in because it's just if you just read the word you know sometimes you tell you how good he is next time you say well you need to do what I said and I mean, the, the, the word of God is balanced in itself, you know, just teach the word and the word of God gives us the balance. But some folks only pick out only the good things, you know, so to speak. And some people only pick out, you know, well, God's going to get you, you know, of course, I know God's not going to get you, but they they kind of twist that in the word of God to say that. Uh, but if you live in the New Testament, you realize the Lord's not the Lord is not out to get you this this. They almost act like this life on this earth is our uh, the Lord's just playing mind games with us to see if we can make it you know and hope that they don't you know he's going to put traps in front of you to get you you know and we're on this earth only for one purpose and that's to advance the kingdom of heaven uh, it's not the lord trying to trick us and trying to get us to trip up and, and mess up so he can withhold from us it's he's he's empowering us to advance his kingdom to get as many people uh on their way to heaven as we possibly can and that's really it that's there, there's no other great plan that god's trying to do these sneaky things with mankind uh, he wants to get everybody saved and on their way to heaven. And he's empowered the church to do that. And and our job is to learn how he's empowered us to do that. How has he gifted us to do that? And, and what has he provided for us to allow us to do that? And along the way, what has he blessed us with as far as our inheritance goes? Uh, and I think that's a pretty good balance that we can find there. Because Psalm 145 is still Psalm 145. The Lord was gracious in the Old Testament. He's still gracious today. The Lord was full of compassion in the Old Testament. He's still full of compassion today. He was slow to anger in the Old Testament. Some people don't believe that, but he was slow to anger in the Old Testament and of great mercy, and he's slow to anger and of great mercy today. Amen. And the Lord is good to all. And, and notice it doesn't say he's good to those who love him. He's good to those who obey him. He's good only to the church. He's only good to my church. No, he's, the Bible says he's good to all. The Bible says that he, that the, that he provides the rain for the just and the unjust. And the unjust have no, no concept of how good God is. No concept of how uh, merciful the, the Lord is. They don't realize it, you know, that they think that's just nature and, you know, they, they make up words like the universe is doing that. Well, there's no the universe. There's no personality called the universe. It's the Lord providing those things. And they don't understand that, of course. It's our job to, to help them understand that. But his, and his tender mercies are over all his works. Well, I'm his work. Aren't you his work? Aren't we the workmanship of the Lord? then it means his tender mercies are over us. Amen. And if his tender mercy is over us, you know, mercy, uh, who's mercy primarily for? Uh, it's, well, it's for the lost, but, it, but uh, it, it's for the guilty, right? Mercy is not necessary for those who are, who are without fault. Mercy is only necessary for those who have fault uh, and for the guilty. And so uh, where his works and his tender mercies are over all his works, so that implies right there, the Lord knows that you're going to mess up sometimes. Is it okay to mess up? No. Should you have a plan to mess up? Well, you shouldn't. You, have a, you, you shouldn't have a, uh, a, a career goal. I'm going to mess up, you know, three and a half times per week. That's, that's my limit. You know, you should try to minimize that all the days of your life, right? And really, as you grow in the Lord, you will find that to get less and less. But his tender mercies, his mercies are there for those who have fallen short of his grace. You know, he starts out with the grace, but he ends with the mercy. You know, grace is how we should strive to live, because if you live in the perfect grace of God and the perfect will of God, there's no need to ever draw upon the mercies of the Lord. There's no need because you already have all the grace. Amen. Uh, but uh, on occasion, you will have to uh, take advantage of his mercies. Amen. They're new every morning. His tender mercies are over all his works. So we thank God for that. And that's really the balance. We find that the balance starts with grace. It ends with mercy. And if we can find that balance, then that's what we should teach. And, and uh, but still. His tender mercies are provided because he's a good God. You know, it's okay to say he's a good God. Amen. And if he's a good God, uh, then, um, you know, if you'll know that, about half your doctrine will get straightened up, right? Well, he's not, he's not, he didn't, he decided not to heal me. You know, a good God would never decide not to heal you. A good God may be constrained to heal you because of your choices or your actions, but his desire is still to heal. 
Amen. His desire never changes for blessing. His desire is always to bless, never to harm, never to bring any uh, conviction. Uh, and, you know, people talk about how mad the Lord's going to be on the day of judgment. Uh, it'll be the worst day that the Lord has ever experienced when he has to turn his own creation back into eternal uh, damnation. You know, he's not going to be happy, not going to be mad. He's going to be uh, in tears and, and grieving over it. And, and people preach hard, you know, the Lord's going to condemn people and all these things. And sometimes I wonder if they've ever met him, you know. He's got, he's, he's, uh, got tender mercies, amen. Uh, and so, praise God, I just want to encourage you about that, you know, that, uh, you know, it's okay every now and then for us to tell, hey, the Lord wants us to straighten up, you know, that's all right. But to beat, it, beat us up over the side of the head, if we, if we do mess up, you know, I never saw the Lord do that ever. Do you ever see the Lord do that to anybody? You know, he was the kindest, most compassionate to, to just your rank and file sinners. Now, he had a, the, hardest, uh, the hardest time he ever gave to anybody was to the religious uh, people, the, the legalistic people, the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and those folks. But just your rank and file sinner, you know, the, the prostitutes and the tax uh, the, the, the tax collectors, um, you know, they were sinners then. I guess they're sinners now, I guess. I don't know. You know, the, I, you know I don't know any uh, personally any tax collectors, but, uh, you know, they weren't held in high esteem back then. They're not held much high esteem today either, are they? Uh, but was Jesus mad at them? In fact, he allowed one of them to be on his staff, didn't he? Uh, and so, uh, so let's find the balance, amen? Uh, and remember that the Lord is good, but his tender mercies are over all his works, amen? Uh, and so let's stand and greet each other for just a minute, and we'll get into praise and worship. You lead us, guide us into all truth. You show us things to come. You're the great revealer, the great teacher, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Great are you, Lord. And Father, the very breath that you gave to us, we will use, Father, to worship you, and to declare your goodness, to thank you, Father, for all the wonderful things you've done for us. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, we give you all praise and honor for these things. We give you the glory for them, Father, in Jesus' name. Well, praise God. Is the Lord good? He's good all the time. Amen. We thank Him. We're appreciative of Him. Amen. Thank you, Father. Let's open up our Bibles to the book of Mark, chapter 16. We'll get started there today. We've been talking about the anointing of God, and, um, you know, I think this is the, uh, one of the most important messages you can learn about in your day-to-day -day life, because uh, working with the anointing of God is how you're going to be the most successful in this life, uh, and, and not just successful uh, in uh, the gospel and preaching the gospel, because that's really the primary reason why we're here but, you know, the Lord has anointed you to do whatever he's called you to do. Amen. And, and you know, uh, if you remember over in First Corinthians chapter 12, he said how God set some in the church to be apostles and, and, and prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. So everybody's not called. He's called some to be that in that role, but only uh, but only some people in the church. The vast majority of the people in the church are just going to be church members. Uh, but he has anointed the whole church. He's not only anointed the, the fivefold ministry gifts. He's anointed you to do whatever you're called to do in this earth. Uh, and, and so he's given you the natural talents, but also there's a spiritual element of that as well. You know, the, you have uh, the natural talents that the Lord gave to you when he came out of the womb. You know, some people just, they're really good with their hands, or some people are really good with music. Some people are really good at math. Some people are really good, you know, at just figuring things out. Some people are really good at organizing things. And no doubt you can learn some of those things along the way, but some people just have that gift. You ever notice that people just have that gift you know, some people are just nice people. You ever met people like that? They're just nice all the time. They're, but they were born that way, you know. And, of course, we don't really like people like that because it just, you know, it's like, what's wrong with them, right? How can they be nice all the time? But they were made that way. They were born that way. And, you know, I wasn't really born that way. You know, I've had to work at it, you know, over the years. And it's still a work in progress for sure. Uh, but, but the Lord's anointed you in the natural world to do the things you're called to do in this natural world. And if you go to Romans chapter 12, he talks about other things that people are called to do. One of them is just to be an exhorter. One of them is about giving. You know, you could be a, a, an anointed person to give. You could be an anointed person to exhort. 
which uh, and I know some exhorters and they're they're you know, they just they're always encouraging to be around, you know, and some people are like, well, you're just always encouraging people. Well, that's their gift. That's the, that's what they're called to do. They're anointed to do that. The spirit of God is with them in order to to uh, add to the natural talent they have to do that. Uh, and and our job then in the church is to learn how to work with that anointing that's upon our life, work with that anointing that, that God has called us to do that thing uh, and to maximize how effective we are in this earth at doing that. Uh, and so with the, with the note that the idea that, you know, we're primarily here to advance the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Uh, and so, uh, you know, many years ago, and we'll get into Mark chapter six here, just Mark chapter 16, just a minute. But many years ago, the Lord spoke to me. He said, uh, he spoke to these words to me. He said, don't steal the anointing. And, you know, whenever the Lord speaks to you, a lot of times uh, he'll speak to you. And, and it's not an audible voice, but it's it's a, it's a still small voice. But uh, but along with it comes the revelation of what he means by that. So he so I don't really understand how that works, but he says something to you and you understand what that means. You ever had some people say something to you and you're like, I don't know what you just said. I heard the words, but I don't have any understanding of what you just said. Well, that's because we're limited as people. But when the Lord tells us things. We also, along with that, we get the revelation of what he means by that. And what he meant by that was, uh, you know, I could take the anointing of my life to be a teacher, to be an instructor, to to help people uh, gain understanding about what they're doing. And, and I could use that for my personal benefit only. And I could become, you know, a millionaire. I could do this. I could do that. And, and you know, really take advantage of, of that uh, anointing that's upon my life for my own personal benefit. And the Lord said, Don't, that would be stealing, right? That's, that's a gift given to me for a purpose, right? Uh, but not using it for the purposes he's given to me, using it for my own personal benefit. Uh, and, and so, you know, that's always been a warning to me to make sure I don't do that, right? To, to make sure I don't steal that anointing that the Lord has given to me uh, for my personal benefit. But see, the thing is, uh, he's, if he's given it to you, then it's for your benefit in the sense that, that whatever you're called to do, he's going to anoint that and bless that as long as you always have that servant's heart uh, attitude to always serve him in whatever you do. And then it's good, right? Then, you're, then that's the balance you should find. But, you know, how many evangelists are out there and they're great uh, motivational speakers, right? How many evangelists are used car salesmen? You know, I mean, they could just sell, you know, sell an, uh, a refrigerator to an igloo, right? They can sell anything to anybody, right? And, but maybe they're called to be an evangelist, someone who just has the, that way to be around people that do that. How many leaders in the church that were called to be leaders in the church are CEOs of company, not even born again. You know, that they were called to be leaders of the church. Uh, how many singers and musicians are, have great uh, worldly uh, uh, success in singing or playing music that were called to be in the church to, there's no greater calling to worship the Lord, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and a lot of singers, you listen to them and they'll t- they say, well, yeah, I learned how to sing in church, right? And now they're not even in church anymore. In fact, I know one one current famous singer, uh, you know, she said, well, you know, I grew up in church, but, you know, all that kind of left me. Uh, and, and, you know, she's acting like she's kind of really grown into who she is. And really, she she has left and has now stole the anointing of the Lord and taken advantage of what the Lord has blessed her. Uh, now, I'm not going to tell you it was, but I just know that that and when, when she said that, I, I knew in my heart. But well, that's the reason why that left her, because she left. She left it. It didn't leave her. She left it. Uh, and now the anointing that was upon her life to sing the praises to the Lord has been now used for her primary benefit. And now she's out doing political, you know, statements and things, you know, because, you know, as a 20 year old, you already know everything. Right. And so, um, and I don't know how they old, how old they are, but they're not that old. And so, um, but the Lord has called us, right. And he's anointed us uh, to do things on the earth. Uh, and and so it's more than just natural talent. It's it's above that. It's been able to see, you know, the spirit of God has gives you the ability to see things uh, supernaturally that that uh, you can't obtain any other way. Amen. You can't obtain it with your own natural ability and your own natural education. Uh, even the talents that you have are limited until the spirit of God gets there. And so uh, and so uh, here he says in Mark chapter 16, uh, after he gives us the great commission in verses 15 through 18, he says, so then after the Lord has spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they, the disciples went forth and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Uh, and so, uh, the Lord desires to work with us. 
And if, and if we can learn to work with the Lord, there's no limit to what the church can accomplish uh, today. There's no limit to what we can accomplish in our things that we're called to do in this natural life. There's no, no limit to what we can do in the church as a whole. There's no limit to what we can do in advancing the kingdom of heaven in every area of our lives. And so uh, last week we, we got over to Romans chapter 7. Uh, and we, we started talking about, you know, the path of, of, of mankind and everybody follows this path. Uh, and we want to get to the point where we understand what it is that the Spirit of God has done for us in the new birth so we know how to work with that. Because if we're going to work with the Lord, we need to know how to work with the Lord. That's not kind of an obvious statement, uh, Captain Obvious Statement, I know. But, um, but we still need to learn how to do that. And a lot of the church, when you, when you start talking about this, this subject, they could look at you like, what are you talking about? I, what, what do you mean the Spirit of God, the anointing of God, that God speaks to us, you know? We had a, a, a small, I didn't get into it because, you know, in the college class that I teach, you know, they, they, uh, they were talking about, you know, how does God speak to us? And of course, you know, they're all super intellectuals and, you know, they don't have any concept, you know, I know they're young, and, uh, but they don't go to, you know, uh, spirit-filled churches. I don't know where they go to church, but it's obvious they don't go to a tongue-talking church uh, because they're, you know, they're kind of skeptical about the whole thing. And so I just asked, well, does God speak to you at all? Well, well yeah, you know. And so they were explaining how the, the, uh, they have chapel on a regular basis and how the fella explained it. And it was obviously he had never been around, you know, spirit-filled, tongue-talking people because they don't really understand, right? And, and we're, not do, we're not trying to de- degrade them. We're not trying to run them down. But, you know, if, you, it, you know, if somebody came in here that's never taught about healing, then don't try to teach about healing, right? Learn something about healing and then go teach something about healing, right? Uh, and so, uh, so they were trying, and his explanation was, you know, well, it's just whatever's in your mind, you know, that's God speaking to you. Well, God's not, not a mind, he's a spirit, right? And it comes, the Bible says, out of your belly shall flow rivers of the living water. It comes out of your spirit, man. It illuminates your mind, but it comes out of your spirit, man. And, it, and you have to train yourself to recognize the distinction of that it's coming out of your spirit, man, instead of out of your mind. Uh, and I just, you know, I encouraged them and said, well, the number one way that you learn how to be led by the Spirit of God, the number one way that you learn how to hear from the Lord is judge everything you think you hear by the Word. Yes. And if you'll do that always, you will learn how to be led by the Spirit of God. Yes. Uh, and I can't tell you how many Spirit-filled, tongue-talking Christians say, well, the Lord told me that. It's like, yeah, but that's not what the, the Word says. Well, He told me that. Well, He didn't tell you that. Your cereal box told you that or the pizza box told you that. The Lord didn't tell you that because not what, not what the Word says. And he will never violate his word, ever. Not a single time has he ever violated his word. Uh, and, um, you know, one of the stories, uh, I remember years ago that uh, this, uh, uh, this, uh, this minister had made an agreement with somebody to pay him so much money. Signed on the piece of paper, I'll pay you this much money. Well, they didn't like paying him that money. Uh, well, d- did you sign the piece of paper? You signed the piece of paper. So what do you got to do? Got to pay him the money. Well, what if you don't want to pay him the money? Doesn't matter. You signed the piece of paper. You got to pay him that much money, right? Uh, and then he got up one day and said, Spirit of God spoke to me yesterday. Stop paying him that money. You know, now immediately, you know, uh, Psalm 15 rose up, you know, that, that uh, we should swear to our own hurt and change not. Right. Uh, and so, I mean, you've got to swear to your own hurt. In other words, if you're, if you're going to swear, and I don't mean like cussing swearing, you know, uh, we call it cussing in New Hampshire swearing, right? Now down here you call it cussing, right? Someplace you call it cursing, but that's not what it's not, it's not. That's not the kind of swearing it was talking about. It just means to give an oath, right? I, I, I give an oath to do this thing. And if you give an oath to do that thing, you're obligated to do that thing. Amen. Now, if they say, hey, you're no longer obligated, well, then it's fine, right? Uh, no problem if, if the other party does. But if the other party says, no, I still want you to, to, to uh, follow through, then you're obligated to your own hurt. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Christians have a hard time with that, uh, with that concept because they don't believe the Lord's going to take care of them. They believe they've got to take care of themselves. Well, I've got to take care of myself. You know, if I, if I do that, they're going to take advantage of me. But you signed, you said you'd do it. And they got up and said, the Spirit of God told me not to do that anymore. So I'm not doing it. I'm just breaking that contract and I'm not paying them any more money. Uh, and, and somebody was telling me this, you know, and, and I said, well, that's not God at all. You know, that can't be God, you know, because swear to your own heart. And, and man, I, I, would, I, would, I would lose a thousand times if I had to uh, before I'd ever go back on my word uh, because the Lord's going to take care of me. Uh, even if I made a mistake and, and, and entered into the contract, you know, with, with foolishness, without as much wisdom as I, as I should have, I believe the Lord would have mercy on me and take care of me. Because um, I'd ask him for mercy. Well, Lord, I messed up. You know, can I get some mercy here? You know, I'm, gonna, I'm banking mercy every day if I can, you know. Uh, and so, but they got up and said, the Lord spoke to me. So I quit doing that. That wasn't God. 
See, if you're not willing to judge everything you think you hear by the word of God, just give it up already. Don't even bother trying because you will hear things that are not uh, scriptural, uh, either in your mind or the devil will whisper something in your ear to tell you something that's almost sounds kind of biblical, but not really quite biblical, right? Uh, and, and, um, uh, and if you're not willing to judge that by the word, then, then, you, then the, the game's over, right? You're never going to successfully be a Christian who's led by the Spirit of God. But that's not really that hard. Uh, if you, uh, in my heart, the Word of God is so important. It's more, more important than the Spirit of God. It's more important than, than anything else because it's what everything else is judged by. The Bible says that he put the Word over his own name, put the Word of God over everything. Uh, and so the Word of God is our foundation. We build from there. Well, we don't, we don't, uh, we're not uh, uh, deciding, well, you know, that word of God, it's a first world, first century book, you know, we're not going to be judged by that, you know. It's not a first century book, it's an eternal book. Yeah. Uh, it's not old-fashioned and out of date. It's as relevant today. I mean, if you can get supernatural revelation because you read the word of God to help you in your day-to-day life, how is that not mo- the most relevant thing you could possibly learn? Amen. Amen. Uh, if you can have supernatural power and ability to overcome every circumstance in your whole life, how is that the most relevant thing that you've ever heard? That should be the most relevant thing ever. Amen. And, and people, well, you know, all those social constructs that the, that the Bible teaches, you know, it's not social constructs. They're defined by God in heaven. Mm-hmm. Amen. Marriage is not a social construct. It's, it's a law from heaven. Yeah. Amen. Well, you know, it's just man made up that men didn't make it up. God made it up. Right. Amen. Uh, and people try to redefine the word of God because society is thinking that way. Just wait 10 years, it'll change, right? I mean, society's always driving to the worst possible place it can get to, right? And then there'll be a, there's some button to be reset, right? Either it was a flood back with Noah, right? Or, you know, the, uh, there'll come a tribulation of David. It'll be reset, you know, and, and it'll get back to normal, amen? Uh, and so uh, people like, like to come up with some intellectual thing that they think they're smarter than God. There's nobody smarter than the Holy Ghost, Amen. Uh, and so, uh, so uh, we need to learn how to work with the Spirit of God. So, so we got to Romans chapter 7. Uh, we, we'd started in 1 John or John chapter 1. This is God lights every man that comes into the world. So when, the, when a person comes into the earth, they are alive unto God. The Spirit of God, he puts a portion of his spirit. How he does it, I don't know. But the Bible says he's the father of spirits in the book of Hebrews, right? So every spirit that comes into the earth, every human being, the father of that spirit is God. Now, the father of their flesh is their, their parents, right? The, 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 the source of their flesh is their parents, right? The DNA comes from their parents. But the spirit comes from God. They're alive unto God. If, they, if, that's, if that child died in childbirth or any time soon after that, they would go to heaven because that spirit is still perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with that spirit. But Paul said uh, in Romans chapter 7, uh, he said in verse 9, For I was alive without the law once, but when this, so he was alive without the law. Right. Until he came to the age that he understood the law, he understood a commandment that this is right and this is wrong. And I'm going to and, you know, guaranteed you're going to choose wrong. Well, you know, I just do what I want to do. Fine. You know, and then you die. Uh, and so he said uh, that when commandment came, uh, in other words, I understood right from wrong. Sin revived and I died. Well, how did he die? He died spiritually. Right. In other words, he was separated from the life of God. That means he's no longer qualified to be in the presence of God. He's no longer qualified to stand. So if he died physically right after that point in time, he would have not gone to heaven because he had not, uh, he had not been born again. Now, in the Old Testament, they couldn't get born again, could they? But could they believe in the Messiah? When, when did God say that a Messiah was coming? When was the first time he said that? As soon as they sinned. In Genesis chapter 3, he prophesied about the Lord coming. Right. He prophesies that one's going to come and 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 he's going to he's going to uh, uh, step on the, the head of the serpent and he's going to bruise his heel. So he's going to. So it means that the, the one stepping on the head of the serpent's going to be harmed. Right. Uh, and he was he was harmed at the cross. So he prophesied about the Messiah to come. So they had faith, the opportunity to believe in the Messiah to come all through the Old Testament from from the very instant of them failing and sinning. They could have believed in the Messiah. And so if they had the faith in the Messiah, and they died, which they did, right? Everybody before Jesus obviously died at some point in time uh, outside of the cross. Then they were put in that place we called Abraham's bosom, right? That place, the holding place for those who were in faith about the Messiah, but hadn't received the Messiah. So they're not qualified to go to heaven. They weren't condemned to go to hell. 
they were kind of in that holding place. It's not purgatory, right? That's a Catholic idea. There's no such thing as purgatory. But there was a place called Abraham's bosom that was there prior to the cross. After the cross, remember the Bible says in Ephesians uh, chapter 4 that he led captivity captive, right? So he led them out of Abraham's bosom up to heaven because after the Messiah came, they were qualified to get born again. And they were qualified to, to follow on what Paul said here that I was alive without the law once. But when sin, but when sin came, when sin, uh, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. So now Paul has to be born again. He has to receive uh, the Lord Jesus as, as a Savior, right? We know Romans 10, 9, and 10. So if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, that, uh, then you'll be saved, right? Uh, so there's only got, to do, only got to do two things to get born again. Believe in your heart uh, that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess him as your Lord. That's all you got to do, right? That's what Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, right? What, you got to do anything else? What about going to church? Doesn't say you got to go to church. Well, should you go to church? You should go to church. If you want to grow up in the Lord, you should go to church. But to get to heaven, you don't have to go to church. Now, you may live days of hell on the earth if you don't go to church. You won't figure out how to live by faith. But, you know, you should go to church. Amen. In fact, he tells us in, in the book of Hebrews also to, to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. So you got to grow if you want to grow. Uh, but, uh, you know, I remember I was at one church one time and, and someone said, well, you know, uh, uh, you don't go to hell because you don't go to church. I'm like, well, that's, you know, what? I, I agree with that. So that's, that's a, you know, now I'm a pastor, but, you know, uh, technically speaking, you literally don't have to go to church to go to heaven, right? He said, you go to hell because you don't love Jesus enough to go to church. And then I raised my hand. And they didn't call me. And I, I, can, I, I, can I ask a question about that statement there? You got any Bible for that? You just made it up, right? That's not really Bible there. So should you go to church? Absolutely ought to go to church, right? How are you going to grow? You can't grow unless you go to church, right? Uh, in fact, he said in, in Ephesians chapter 4, also in verse 11, he said he gave the fivefold ministry gifts, including the pastor. And the very first thing is, is for the perfecting of the saints. In other words, for them to grow up. So technically, it's impossible for you to grow up outside of church. People think they can get everything they want out on their own, watch the Internet, you know, read whatever they want to read. Impossible. You cannot grow up unless you have a pastor. Not going to happen. Now, you know, that's what, I didn't write the Bible. You know, you know, he wrote it. You have to fuss at Paul. And so, but you, you believe this, Paul, by here, Paul saying this in Romans chapter 7, right? So, so sin revived and he died. So that's the path of all men, right? That's the path that all men will go through in this earth. And so at some point, they need to get born again. And once they get born again, then the Spirit of God comes in them. And, and so let's go back over to, uh, to John chapter 20 then. So the disciples, they were in the same boat as everybody else, right? They, uh, they had, at that time, they were adults. And uh, they had all uh, allowed the commandment to come and for sin to be revived. And they, ha- they were all, at the point in time before the cross, they were all spiritually dead right now they believed in the messiah so they had you know credit towards that but they were still not born again at that point in time and so now john chapter 20 this is after the 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 uh the cross right this is after the resurrection of lord jesus now he's with the disciples uh, and he said uh, in verse 21 this said jesus to them again peace be unto you as my father has sent me even so send i you and when he had said this he breathed on them and said unto them receive ye the holy ghost so what does that sound like? What story, what other story does that sound like? It's not the story with Adam, right? Remember what uh, the, he said, he breathed into Adam's nostrils. You know, uh, I don't know that he actually went and got his nose and breathed in his nose. You know, I think it's just a, a, a metaphor there. Uh, but, um, um, but he said, receive you, he breathed on him, receive, receive you the Holy Ghost. So uh, when, you, when you receive the Holy Ghost, you can't receive the Holy Ghost until what happens first until you're born again, right? So this is where the disciples were born again. They weren't born again in, in Acts chapter 2. They were born again right here. After the cross, they were born again when they received the Holy Ghost. Uh, and so this is now that now they have the Spirit of God in them, right? They have the Spirit of God in them as, a, as children of God. Uh, and, and yet, over in um, uh, Acts chapter 2, it says that the Holy Ghost fell upon them. And they began to do what? Speak with other tongues. So uh, there's clearly two things, two works of the Holy Spirit that the Lord has for the church. One is when you get born again, and the second is when you get filled with the Spirit with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. Uh, and so let's turn over to we're in John chapter 20. Let's turn over to John chapter 4, and we'll see those same two things that, that Jesus, he, he mentioned here also in two different ways. In John chapter 4, so this is talking to the woman at the well. Uh, he says in verse 13, 
Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever shall drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of, of water uh, springing up into everlasting life. So the everlasting life that he's talking about is the born again experience, right? When you're born again, you're born again with everlasting life. You have eternal life in you. It's uh, that same word for everlasting is also translated as eternal in other, other places. So it's, it's the, the life of God in you. In fact, that word life there is, is the word zoe. It's the God kind, the God kind of life. It's the, it's the life in you that will last forever. And that's what gets you to heaven, right? That's the only, only requirement to get into heaven. But, you know, there, there, you can get into heaven by the skin of your teeth, which is great. But I want to go into, in, into heaven, right? Remember, uh, some people go into heaven with nothing, and some people go into heaven with, with uh, all the riches and treasures they laid up for themselves in heaven. I want, don't you want to maximize the treasures that you lay up for yourself in heaven before you get there? So when you get there and everybody else was casting their crowns to the Lord and worshiping him with all the blessings and, and things they got. And, and you look to your neighbor, hey, can you get a, you got a dime? I mean, I got nothing, you know. You, I mean, you know, every now and then Chris will come to my office. Hey, you got any money I can give to the you know, offering? Because, you know, she didn't have any money on her. So she got to borrow some money. So I, may, I write it down, make sure you give an IOU, she pay me back, right? You know, she doesn't really pay me back. But, uh, but you know, you want to get to heaven with an IOU, right? You know, hey, you, can I borrow a crown or something? I got, I got nothing, right? No, we want to maximize that, so we want to be successful in this earth, spiritually, amen? Uh, and so, so here, John, the, the work of the Holy Spirit that he's talking about here is the new birth. Uh, and, and everybody, uh, he told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, a man must be born again. So any other way to get to heaven? Got to be born again, right? Well, what if you're really, really good? A man must be what? Born again. He didn't say a man must make the most potato salad. A man must, you know, help the most people in the world, you know. And, and the world is always, always trying to get the church to quit talking about being born again and just making potato salad. Just shut up and make potato salad. We don't want to hear about this born again stuff. Just shut up and make us, make us potato salad, you know. Give us stuff. Just shut up and give us things, you know. Give us clothes and food and shut up and just, you know, don't talk about spiritual things. And no, that's the, I'm not here on this earth to clothe anybody. I'm, here, I'm not here on this earth to, to, to feed anybody. I'm here to preach the gospel. Now, if, if that allows me, you know, to, to preach the gospel by feeding you, fine. You know, I got no problem with that. But when Jesus gave the Great Commission in Mark chapter 16, he said, go into all the world and do what? Preach the gospel. He, didn't, he never said go into all the world and feed the poor. Anything wrong with feeding the poor? Not if it's there to preach the gospel, because did Jesus uh, feed the poor? He did, but what did he also do? I mean, one time when he fed, it was either the 4,000, 5,000. One time he's, they, were, they had been with him for three days. Before he fed them, you know, you know, there's a lot of people come to the church and say, well, if you just sit in the service, we'll talk to you after service. They'll sit for 10 minutes and leave. You know, he, he waited three days, preached them for three days, and then he fed them. Uh, you, who's willing to wait for three days to, you know, nowadays? Yeah, well, we'll you know, stay, we've got a six-hour service, stay for there, and then we'll, we'll, we'll give you, you know, we'll feed you after that. Well, I ain't saying, you know, fine, I don't care, you know. I mean, you know, Jesus, three days, right? Uh, who's willing to, you know, nowadays we'd, we'd probably file a lawsuit they made me wait three days before they fed me right uh, and so so he did that on occasion but it was with the with the context of of preaching the gospel to them everything we do has got to be preaching the gospel amen i got no problem having a soup kitchen you know we don't have a soup kitchen but I, you know if you want to have no problem have, but uh in fact a friend of mine over in dublin ireland they they do a soup kitchen there uh but their whole thing is feed you but as you're eating we're going to preach the gospel to you now if you don't like that that's that's not my problem. I'm going to preach to you. While you're eating, I'm going to preach to you. Uh, and so, uh, and, you know, in those things, that's fine, right? But see, the world doesn't want that. The world wants the church to use our fun and just feed them and give them clothes and give them things and, and leave them alone. That's not my job, you know? I've had people come and say, well, you know, the Bible says you've got to give money to the poor. Well, but it does say that, but it says a lot of things. You, you're, you know, if you're going to judge me for that one thing, do I get to judge you for not going to church or not, not uh, giving to the Lord or not doing anything he says? I mean, if you're going to judge me, do I get to judge you? It should work both ways, right? Uh, and so that fellow didn't end up with any money, you know, because uh, uh, just it wasn't there to give him any money. So wasn't mad at him or anything. Uh, so here in John chapter 4, he said uh, that the, the Spirit of God is going to be a well of water springing up into everlasting life. But then he goes over to John chapter 7. Let's turn over to John chapter 7. 
Uh, and he says, uh, well, we've got to get over John chapter 7. Uh, he said in verse 37, uh, he said, in the last day, that great day of the feast, uh, and so this was the, the, the day of Pentecost. This feast that he's talking about is, is uh, that they were in, and you've got to look at the context of it. They were in the feast of Pentecost here. He said, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And he that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. This he spake of the Spirit, uh, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because the, that Jesus was not yet glorified. So now he talks about, in John chapter 4, he's talking about a, a well of water. But now he's talking about rivers of living water coming out of you. And so uh, this is really the second work of the Holy Spirit that all Christians should experience. Uh, and, you know, and of course, we've mentioned it around here many times, uh, you know, we're, we're considered to be a Pentecostal church. But there's really, the Lord never designed there to be a Pentecostal church and then a not Pentecostal church. He, his intention was the whole church was supposed to be a Pentecostal church. It's like the whole church is supposed to be a Christian church, right? Now, most churches are Christian churches. You've got a few kind of, you know, questionable out there. But most churches, you know, are Christian churches. But that was never the design of the Lord. The design of the Lord was every church was supposed to be a Christian church and a Pentecostal church. It wasn't just for the crazy people, you know, the people who like rolling around on the ground and swinging from chandeliers. Uh, that was never the intent of the Lord. It was, always because, uh, it was always the intent that all the church was filled with the Spirit, with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. Amen? Uh, and so, because when we get to that point, see, before you just had a well. Now, a well is great, right? But well is for your, your personal consumption. Your well is for you, your personal benefit, right? Uh, and so, uh, you know, we had a well growing up. And, uh, you know, I didn't know much about the well, but it was out there and it was covered over and, and uh, it did its thing, right? But it was just for our family. And the family down the street, they had their own well. The other family across the street, they had their own well. You know, we didn't have city water back then. Uh, and I remember a friend of ours, uh, they, were, uh, they would tell the story. They had uh, a bunch of kids. I think they had 16 kids in their family. And uh, they were really poor. You know, I thought we were poor, but I think they were, you know, like a, like a Ph.D. level of poor. Uh, and uh, and so uh, one day their well drew, just ran dry. And so what do you do? You know, there's no city water. You know, you got to have wa well water. But the, the mom loved the Lord. Uh, and, and many of the, the kids were Christians, too. The mom went out into the well and laid down on the well. The cover of the well laid down on the well and spoke to it in the name of Jesus, commanded the water to come back in that well. And it came back in the well. And so, praise God, they had water again, right? Uh, but it was for them, right? That was their well. That was, that was their personal well. But then a river, you know, you go out here, the Tennessee River, how many people does that river support? How many people get water from that river? Probably tens of thousands, maybe millions of people. I mean, the Tennessee River is a huge river, right? Uh, and it travels all the way through, you know, I don't know where it starts, but wherever it starts, it goes a long way, right? Uh, and so I'm not up in my river geography around here, but I know it's a big river, right? And you go over a bridge, and it's a mile-long bridge. It's a, it's a big old river. So that river is there with the intent of assisting other people, you know, lots of other people. And he said, out of your belly shall flow rivers, not just a single river, but rivers of living water. Uh, well, what is that? That's the power of the Spirit of God in you for the benefit of those around you. Uh, and so the Lord has provided you with the ability, the power, the, the capability of assisting lots of people around you. Uh, amen. Uh, and so we, we should never be selfish as a church. We should never be, well, that's mine, you know. Uh, and, you know, I understand this. You've you got to still be led by the Spirit of God, right? I know, you know, the Bible does say help, uh, help those who ask. But, you know, uh, there, was, there were some times when Jesus said no. And they said, hey, come to my house. He said, no, I'm not doing that. Now, there's reasons for that. Uh, and so you got to, in everything you do, you got to be led by the Spirit of God. Amen. Because you literally couldn't help every single person that ever came to you because you just, there, there'd be a limited supply, right? Uh, and so you'd be led by the Spirit of God and find out what He wants you to do because you're on this earth, you're, you live in a limited capacity. Amen. In the sense that you're here and you're not over there. So if two people want you at the same hour, you can't help them both. Some, somebody's either going to wait or, or not be helped. So. Uh, but the second work of the Spirit of God is the rivers of living water flowing out of you. So that's really uh, where we start learning how to work with the anointing of God because the anointing of God is upon you to help others around you. Remember what Jesus said that uh, over, uh, we're in John chapter 7, uh, turn it back over to Luke chapter 4. Remember what uh, Jesus said there in Luke chapter 4. 
Uh, we, we mentioned this verse many times, but I think it's just good to, uh, to mention it again here. In Luke chapter 4, uh, Jesus said in verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to do what? He's got a whole list of things here, right? How many of these things are, are for his personal benefit? Preach the gospel to who? Somebody else. To, to heal the brokenhearted, right? Somebody else. To preach deliverance to the captive. Somebody else. Recovering of sight to the blind. Somebody else. To set at liberty uh, them that are bruised. Somebody else. To, pre- to preach the acceptable year of the Lord to somebody else. So the, the anointing that you get, the, those rivers of living water are there for you to assist those around you. Amen. And again, not just from the pulpit. All of us, right, have the rivers of living water coming out of us. Now, we may not recognize it. We may not appreciate it. We may not know anything about it. They're still there, right? Uh, and maybe they're all dammed up. You know, maybe we've got to work on, on uh, blowing up a dam or something, right? Uh, so, uh, uh, and we're not going to go through all of, of being baptized with the Holy Spirit and speaking with other tongues. You know, we've done that many times around here. Uh, but, um, um, you know, that, that's, that is the design that the Lord Jesus himself gave to the church, right? What did he tell them at the end of the book of Luke? He said, go and tarry in Jerusalem until what? You're endued with power from on high, right? And so don't go anywhere, right? Don't do anything. In fact, he repeated that in Acts chapter 1. He said, uh, uh, in fact, I'll read the, the Acts chapter 1 version there. Um, and then we're going to go back over to, uh, uh, to Romans chapter 8. Uh, he said um, in verse 8, uh, Acts chapter 1 verse 8, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Now, now that word power there is supernatural miracle work of power, right? It's dunamis. It's the, it's the supernatural aspect of, of living with God. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. So when he said, after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, what, what action is he talking about when the Holy Ghost comes upon you? We're in Acts 1.8. When does that occur, that the Holy Ghost came upon him? In Acts 2.4, right? That, that, that the Spirit of God fell upon them, right? Like, and and uh, like tongues is fire. Uh, and so, so he's talking about the Pentecostal experience right here in Acts 1.8. Uh, and, you know, I don't know how sincere Christians who desire to learn of the Lord uh, get around these verses, right? Because uh, how much witnessing did he tell them to do before they were speaking in the tongues? He told them, in fact, I don't want you to talk to anybody, right? Uh, he, he told them, go wait in Jerusalem until. And he said, after you have the whole, then you can be a witness. But don't do any witnessing until you get power. Now, they're born again, right? They were born again in John chapter 20. So they're born again. But he still told them, don't be doing any witnessing until you get power. Well, have we followed those instructions of the master, the head of the church, the one who, who died for our benefit? Have we followed that instruction the way he, the way he wrote them? Well, we haven't because how many people don't even believe in this, the uh, baptism of the Holy Spirit speaking in other tongues? Well, I don't believe that's for us today. Well, then, there's, then no, there's no witnessing for today, right? There's no rivers of living water today. There's no... Uh, uh, talking to other people about the Lord, right? Uh, then he say, there's no going to all the world because he said, after you get this power, then go to Jerusalem, then go to Judea, then go to Samaria, then go to the uttermost parts of the earth. So he's talking about the same thing he was talking about in Mark chapter 16, right? Same context about going to everywhere, preaching the gospel. And, and he's giving uh, further instructions about here's exactly how I want you to go about doing that. You get born again, you get baptized by the Holy Spirit, you speak with other tongues, and then you're qualified and have the power, the ability to go out and do these things on my behalf. That was the instruction that the head of the church gave to us. And yet we're, we're not doing a very good job following that, right? As a whole, right? As a church. Now we are as a church because we're in every Pentecostal church is, you know, at least uh, as far as I know. Uh, but all the ones who don't believe in that, you know, and I'm not mad at anybody. But, uh, you know, uh, I know plenty of denominational people who are spirit filled, but the denomination itself does not believe in that. Uh, concept, right? I know plenty of Baptist folks, Methodist folks, you know, uh, we even got a Seventh-day Adventist, you know, people uh, can be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I know, uh, I've heard of Roman Catholic people filled with the Spirit, right? Speak with other tongues, Episcopalian people. I mean, I, every, every denomination that exists uh, has got Spirit-filled people in it, but the organization doesn't believe in that, right? Uh, and so uh, that, that's a little bit of a problem because that's not what the Master told us to do, right? And if the master said to do that, then our response should be, yes, sir. I'll be glad to do it exactly how you said, not any other way. Amen. Uh, and so uh, we're, we're about out of time there. But let's turn over to Romans chapter 8. And uh, we won't have a lot of time to get into uh, a lot of Romans chapter 8. 
But Romans chapter 7 kind of got us out of living in sin. And, and really, uh, you know, I'm glad that Paul wrote Romans chapter 7 because some Christians really believe they'd never, they'd never make a mistake ever in their whole life. Uh, and, and Romans chapter 7 is all about I'm, I'm not doing the things I should be doing. I am doing the things I, not, uh, I ought not be doing. Uh, and he says, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Now, this was written after he was saved, right? This was not written in his time before he got saved. This was talking about his life as a Christian. Uh, and so uh, then he starts in, in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So our, our, our goal then is to not walk after the flesh. Now, uh, in fact, he comes down here uh, and looks at um, uh, verse 6 here. And, uh, well, I mean, uh, maybe in verse 5, we could spend months in Romans chapter 8. I love Romans chapter 8. Uh, he says, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So, uh, when he talks about the flesh, he talks about carnality, right? Flesh and carnality go together. But usually when we think of the word carnality, we think of some particular sin, you know, some, you know, carnal sin, you know, whatever it is. Maybe it's sexual sin, you know, whatever the, the bad list of it is. But really the word carnal means to be natural. Uh, and, and so really a better, a better word here would have been naturally minded, right? Just minding the things of this natural realm, things we can see and touch and measure and count, the natural realm. And many people in a church, they only understand this natural realm, what they do, what they say, where they go, uh, what they can measure. They have no concept of living in the spirit, right? They have no concept of being led by the spirit. Uh, and, I, you know, I told you about that friend of mine that they don't believe that the spirit of God speaks to us, that he leads us, that he, that he talks to us, uh, that he shows us things to come. You know, all the things that the Bible says that he'll do for us, right? They don't believe he does any of those things. And I said, so what's he doing? You, you believe he's in you? Yeah. Well, what's he doing? I mean, if he's not doing any of those things, what's he doing? So if he's not doing any of those things, then you live in a natural life. You're not living a spiritual life. You're living a natural life. Just whatever you can see. Now, look, good, honest Christians live that way every day. And they're good people with good character. They wouldn't lie or cheat or hurt a gnat. You know, they'll mow the yard. They'll vote. You know, they'll, they'll you know, uh, do all kinds of good things. But that doesn't mean they're spiritually minded. And until we're spiritually minded... We're, we're of little use to the master because to be spiritually minded is life and peace. To be naturally minded, uh, what, now he said to be carnally minded is death. Now, again, we think the word carnal is a, is a bad word in and of itself, right? It, it, we, we think it means some type of sin. But it just means to be naturally minded, to be focused only on the realm that you can see. Focused only on the realm that you can measure and touch and hear. And a lot of the church, they only get focused on this natural realm. And he said it's death. It doesn't mean that you die spiritually. It doesn't mean you're going to die physically. Uh, one of the word, definitions of the word death in the New Testament means to live without power. And a lot of the church, that's how they live. They would go to heaven. They died today. I guarantee they'd go to heaven. I'd see them in heaven. Not mad at them. They'd be, they'd be right there with me, right? Uh, and glad, glad for them to be there. Uh, but they would have lived their whole life on this earth without power, without any spirit uh, in them that's empowering. Now, he's there, right? Uh, he said he was if you're born again, he's there. Right. He lives. He lives in you right now. Uh, and so every Christian who who confesses the Lord Jesus, the spirit of God is in them. They got the most powerful being in the universe living on the inside of them right now. Uh, and and yet uh, uh, how could they ever fail? I mean, as a Christian, how could you ever fail if you got the spirit of God in you? You have the capacity to live a life of complete total success in everything you do, touch, think or believe. Uh, if if you yield to the spirit of God. Amen. And Romans chapter eight is really the key to that living. And, and that's that's what we want to spend a little time in Romans chapter eight. Uh, and, but he goes on to say, he said that to be carnally minded is death. I mean, it's no power, There's no power. And just, uh, you, you know, one of the things that just grieves me the most, it's like nail on a chalkboard when I hear the intellectual Christians talk about, you know, things that from an intellectual standpoint, God uh, from an intellectual standpoint. And I got no problem with, with, you know, talking about, you know, some big questions like, you know, uh, I mean, did Adam and Eve have a belly button? You know, I don't know what they are, but, you know, big, you know, sometimes philosophical questions, you know, to have discussions. I don't have a problem with that. But if that's all you can do is talk about God from a philosophical standpoint, a psychological standpoint, that's just like nails on a chalkboard to me because 
God is so much bigger than that. He's so much bigger than our intellect trying to wrap our minds around, well, does man have a free will or not? That should take about five seconds to answer that question. And yet people have argued that question for years, right? Uh, John Calvin, you know, famous preacher came up, you know, that man does not have a free will. It's like, how do you make it out of first grade? You know, he's like this famous preacher. I mean, I mean how is he famous at all? He'd be famous for, for not coming with anything interesting, right? Because mm-hmm. men obviously have a free will. That's, the whole Bible is predicated on the concept that men have a free will to choose God or not choose God. God hasn't chosen that for us. How do we come? I mean, how do they come up with that? Because they live carnal lives, natural lives, intellectual lives. To not, not to, to that, to not, for that to not be an obvious statement that man has a free will. If you have to question that, that is a carnal question. I mean, that's such a natural thing. Well, you know, based on their observations, you know, that, that's really a hard thing to answer. That's not a hard question to answer at all. That's an easy question, right? Uh, and so I'm not mad at John Calvin. I don't even know John Calvin. He's been dead for a long time, right? I hope he made it to heaven because, I mean, you know, if you got people who don't believe in free will don't believe that, that you have a choice to get born again or not. They believe you're, that God's already decided you're going to make it or not make it. Now, God knows if you're going to make it or not, but he hasn't decided that. You decided that. He just knows what you're going to decide. That's how free will works, right? Uh, and so, uh, so he said in, um, uh, in verse 7, uh, because the carnal mind, the natural mind, is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Now, he's, he's not talking about worldly people. He's talking to the church right here. And he says that the carnal mind, the natural mind is enmity. The word enmity means hostile. You think about that. People that just live natural lives, they're, he said they're hostile, right? It's enmity. Uh, and I, well, I didn't write this, right? He says it's enmity against God, right? It's hostile against God. Uh, why? Because when God, says, God tries to give him revelation, I don't believe that. That's hostile. When God says, I need to speak to you, I don't believe in that. That's hostile. When God says, hey, you need to be, uh, speak with other tongues, oh, I don't believe in that. That's hostility, right? Yeah. God, I desire to heal you. I don't believe in healing. That's hostility. Well, I, I want to give you supernatural revelation. I don't believe in that. That's, that's, isn't that hostile? Yeah. If every time you want to say, hey, can I help you? Just leave me alone. Sorry, you know, I mean, you ever been around people just hostile towards you? You, know, you hadn't done nothing to them. Has God done anything to these people other than try to bless them? No. Now he's talking to Christians. It's amazing. Christians can be hostile towards God. He said uh, a natural mind, right? Not a sinful. I mean, he's not talking about, you know, you're doing, you know, you're, you're, you're stealing, you know, uh, puppies or something like that. He's just talking about, you're just, you're not, you live in natural. Whatever you can see, that's, that's your life. Whatever you can count, that's what, that's your life. And the Lord tries to say, hey, I need you to do, I don't believe in being led by the Spirit of God. That's hostile, right? Uh, and he said, he said the natural mind is hostile towards God. Well, it's easy to change because if you love the Lord, you, you know, first thing you do, Lord, I'm just sorry for being hostile towards you. Uh, and, and, you know, no doubt all of us have been, you, you ever tried to, uh, Lord, try to help you and, and you're just kind of short with, with the Lord? I'm busy, Lord. And the Lord's like, oh, sorry. You know, didn't mean to bother you, right? Uh, and so, uh, so he said that the, that the natural mind is hostile towards God, for it is not subject to the law of God. You know, the natural mind is subject only to its own law. Well, you know, uh, they'll just make up stuff, right? Well, man doesn't have a free will, even though, you know, you can't justify that from the word of God. God quit healing a long time ago. Well, that's not subject to the law of God, because the law of God says, my desire is to heal every single person every, of every sickness, of every disease that's ever been. Every single time, not a single exception. That's the law of God. But see, the carnal mind says, there's no way. It's, it, won't, it won't subject itself to the law of God. It won't yield, right? To be subject to the law of God means that when you come up with an idea and it's in conflict with the law of God, then your spiritual mind would go, yeah, that ain't right because the law of God says this. It would become subject to the law of God. It would yield to the law of God. And that should be a normal part of all of our lives that we come up with some idea. Hey, I wonder if God does that. And you go, well, it's not what the Bible says, so I'm going to throw that out. But a lot of times we'll come up with some philosophical idea. Well, that's the way God is. Well, that's in conflict with it. Yeah, but that's what I believe. Yeah, I, I just don't see it that way. Blah, 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 blah. There's no way to see it or not see it. It's what it says, right? I mean... You know, when we get so smart, you know, when you get so smart, you're smarter than God. You're as dumb as a brick. I mean, you know, in a brick, it, it, and that's where the insulting bricks to say that. Right. Uh, and so, uh, you know, 
Uh, we need to subject ourselves to the law of God, right? Anytime you believe something that's in conflict with the word of God, a humble servant of the Lord go, Lord, I'm just so wrong. I just, I'm just wrong. Uh, you're right. Uh, then he say, let, let all men be liars, right? Uh, and God be the truth. Because you're going to come up with some ideas that are just crazy and wrong and, 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 and out of whack from the word of God. But, you know, a, a humble servant of the Lord will go, yeah, you're right, Lord. I'll, I'll change right now. Uh, and so, you know, Romans uh, uh, 8, uh, uh, 6 and 7, pretty tough verses, right? And, and, and if the church would, would, would uh, embrace these two verses, we'd get out a lot of, a lot of junk. All this philosophy that's in the church, that's not even godly, just intellectualism in the church. That's so, you know, look, I, I love studying. I love academics. I love reading. I mean, I'm, I'm Mr. Academic. I love it all. Some people believe that you can't be spiritual and, and, and also read a lot too, right? Which, you know, I don't know why that's, why that's the case, but some people believe that you've got to be dumb as a brick before you can be spiritual. That's not true. God made you with a mind. He, he created your soul, didn't he? You have an intellect. It's okay to use your intellect, amen? He gave it to you. Solve the world's problems with your intellect, right? Come up with great inventions with your intellect and yield to the Spirit of God to help you in those things. No problem at all in that area. You know, I'm not preaching we ought to be dumb and, and, and uh, ignorant people. Uh, I'm a, I, you know, if you knew me at all, you know that I, I, don't, I am as opposite of that as possibly can be. But I've learned that the balance is that everything I believe and think and learn and know has to be subject to the law of God. And if I'll do that, then everything I can think and learn and add to my knowledge can become spiritual knowledge because it's subject to the law of God. Uh, and so learn all you can, amen? Do all you can to get as much education as you can. But don't ever think that you're smarter than God. And, and so many people think they're so smarter than God. They come up with some intellectual stuff, and it's just, it's distasteful. It's distasteful to me, but it's distasteful to the Spirit of God, amen? amen. Uh, and so, uh, so uh, 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 that's kind of an introduction to Romans chapter 8, but I want to spend a little time in Romans chapter 8 because Romans chapter 8 will be a great chapter if we want to learn how to yield to the Spirit of God, learn how to work with the Spirit of God. Romans chapter 8 is a great place to, to waller in for a little while. Amen. So, we'll, but, but Paul is setting up, here's, the, here's, the, uh, uh, here's how you're going to get started. Number one, you got to get out of being a carnal mind. you got to get out of, of thinking that this things we can see right here is everything. This is not everything. In fact, this isn't even real. Well, this is, this is, this is, this is all subject to change, right? The Bible calls this temporal. It means it's subject to change. Uh, so, this is not re reality is the spirit realm. It's not subject to change. Amen. This realm that we live in subject to change. God wants us to walk on water. We walk on water. Well, you can't defy the laws of gravity. Jesus did many times, right? I mean, Joshua did. Moses did. A bunch of people did, right? So it's subject to, to God. Amen. Everything we see in the natural realm is subject to any words of faith. Uh, and so, uh, so uh, we'll, we'll get to Romans chapter 8. And Romans chapter 8 will be a good, uh, a good uh, foundation to build upon to learn how to work with the Spirit of God. Amen? And so let's pray and thank the, Lord, thank the Lord for His Word today. So Father, we thank You for the Word of God. And Father, we thank You that Your Word is sure, Father, that we depend upon Your Word. Uh, above all things, Father, and everything we think we hear and everything we think that You say, Father, we will judge by Your Word and declare it to be so or not so according to Your Word. And so, Father, we thank You that You've given us such a great uh, blessing uh, in this printed pages that you provided for us. And we thank you for it, Father. And we give you the praise and the honor for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, praise God. Well, let's get ready to receive uh, this morning's tithes and offerings. And, and um, you know, there, there was times in certain circles I get around that uh, um, they, they kind of have the impression that if, you, if you're going to be spiritual, you've got to be you know, uneducated and, you know, um, I, I, I never have understood that because Paul was the most educated uh, of the apostles and um, uh, I think he did okay by himself, amen? And Jesus, do you think Jesus knew anything? He probably knew a few things, right? And um, uh, he was the most educated of all the people that's ever been on the earth, right? I think he did okay for himself. You know, he's still got a little work to go, I'm sure, but uh, no, I think he's okay, amen? Uh, and so come ahead, Mr. Jared. You know, the way I see it is we need everybody. Uh, and maybe God's not called you to be a great academic. That's fine. No problem with that at all. Uh, uh, and uh, But if God's called you to be an academic and, and love studying and reading, 
then uh, make sure that you always subject all of that to the law of God. And if you do, you'll be fine, right? Uh, and that's the balance that we've got to find. Uh, and the, the, the problems we found is that many times when we become educated, we become smarter than God. Mm. And, um, <laughs> you know, I, I'm sure the Lord up heaven's going, there they go again, right? They think they're so smart, right? Uh, I mean, the, uh, you know, the whole Tower of Babel, right? They thought they were smarter than God, right? Uh, and people, you know, because there's this thing called the Internet, think they're smarter than God. You know, all this knowledge is out there. We'll just ask them how gravity works. Nobody knows, right? Uh, you know, ask them any questions, simple questions, you know. Um, you know, how, why do we die? You know, how, do we, how, do, how are we conscious? You know, how do we have the ability to know, you know, I think, therefore I am. How do we know that, right? Uh, just ask them any questions. They don't know the answer to questions because why? Because they're limited, right? They think they're so smart. They're not all that smart. They're, they're maybe slightly above a brick, you know, maybe. Uh, but um, compared to God, they're about equal with a brick, right? But so am I. So, you know, uh, that's okay. So be blessed. Don't forget we have a healing school today at 3 o'clock, and uh, you're dismissed.